How's everybody? Good, good. Wow. If you don't uh, express your appreciation to them, you ought to. Allison back there, Kyle, Jess, Therese, we don't take it for granted. Thank you for your service. Really appreciate it. If you've been here for the past, wow, three months, we've been in one chapter in Matthew, chapter 5, and we're going to go a little bit further in Matthew 5 today, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'd like to start off just by maybe going back a few verses. Uh, three Sundays ago and two Sundays ago, we... We went through verses 17 and 18 and then 19 and 20. And today, by God's grace, we'll move on to uh, 21 and 22 at least. We'll see how far we get. But I'm going to back up to Matthew 5, 17, and read from there. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's where we left off two weeks ago. Verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raha, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. Let's stop there because I'm not sure we'll get past 21 and 22. If we do, we'll pick up. Um, as is my habit, uh, starting into this, I like to just circle back a little bit and maybe take the big, the big view of the Sermon on the Mount. I th uh, you know, I, I think Nate said when we started, he timed himself reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I think he said it took him 10 or 11 minutes. Does anybody remember? I did. It takes me 12. I don't read as fast as Nate. But it's easy for us to lose sight of the fact, especially when we come in here and we take these verses, you know, one or two a week, that the word says Jesus sat down and he spoke. And, and to us, sometimes maybe if we're taking it a verse or two at a week, it might seem like sometimes the verses aren't all tied together. Maybe they're a little unrelated, or maybe they're a little bit scattered, but they're absolutely not. And that's why I think it's good for us to get the continuum of what Jesus was saying here, because what he said in verse 20 about a righteousness needing to exceed, must exceed the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, now in verse 21, he's getting ready to explain that. All right? Does that make sense? It's the, this is not a change this is not a changed thought. It's a continuation of the same thought. And I think it's important to, to just emphasize, um, and, I, and I probably sound like a broken record on this, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't a pep rally for the disciples. 
it wasn't just a uh, it wasn't just Jesus sharing some great words of wisdom that um, that all people for all time would admire or maybe make embroidery uh, quotes and hang them on the wall or something like that. These are the very words of our Lord and Savior. And they were radical. They were radical then. They're radical today. Jesus, I believe in the Sermon on the Mount, is making it absolutely crystal clear how his disciples, his bondservants, are to live. I quoted an Orthodox rabbi many weeks ago, and I just want to quote it again, because not because we put our faith in an Orthodox rabbi, but because I think these words are so convicting. Do you guys remember this quote? Orthodox rabbi. He said, <clears throat> excuse me, the history of Christianity is the history of Christians trying to evade the Sermon on the Mount and avoid living to its plain meaning. And I say, whoops, I hit that thing. I'll hit below it. That's like a heart shot, you know? I said at the time, I hope that's not true of us, but I think we have to say, hey, does that convict our hearts? Because, and I'm going to make one more statement just as a refresher or a lead-in, which is, and I know I said this before, I think as we read the Sermon on the Mount, as we meditate about it, as we think about it, we don't want to be quick to determine what Jesus didn't say. All right? So much of the Sermon on the Mount has been explained away. Well, he didn't really, he doesn't really mean that. Like, he doesn't really mean that, literally. And I'm just saying, is there figurative language in the Sermon on the Mount? Yes, there is. But I'm saying we should take the most literal, the most literal version of what our Lord said right to heart, okay? Instead of saying, well, he couldn't have meant that, Ryan. I mean, that's, that's crazy, man. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't have meant something that radical. No, I think he absolutely did mean something that radical. Okay, we're going to move on to verse uh, 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable for the court. Okay. When Jesus said to these people, you have heard, you can bet they absolutely had heard. They, they knew exactly what he was quoting. They had heard it many, many, many times. This was directly from Mosaic Law. This wasn't a new word being spoken to them. They knew it by heart. They probably had it memorized for a long, long time. He's setting them up, though, as you know, in verse 22. If, if we just think about, well, what is Jesus saying here? He's going back, really, to Exodus 20, 13, which is, you don't even need to turn there. You shall not murder. That's the entire verse. There was a command, command in Mosaic Law, and we will turn to this one quickly. He's also in the second part of the verse when he says, whoever commits murder shall be liable to the council. What he's referring to here is a passage in, uh, in Numbers 35. Actually, this is uh, Numbers 35, verses 30 and 31. I'm going to read here. If anyone kills a person, that murderer shall be put to death at the evidence of witnesses, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall not take ransom for the life of a murderer. 
who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. Meaning, if you murdered, the penalty was death. And you couldn't buy your way out of it. When it says, shall not be ransomed, it meant you couldn't, it wasn't an option. Now, we don't have time to dive into this, and I'm not going into it very far. The commandment to murder is not about self-defense, all right? And it's not about capital punishment. Obviously, God just dictated capital punishment here in, in Numbers. And I'm not going to, I'm not taking a position relative to that or inciting debate or riot with anybody. I'm just saying, when the, when the word says, thou shalt not murder, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about someone planning in their heart and executing the taking of a human life. We're going to go back just a little bit further. Go back to Genesis 9 with me real quick because Mosaic Law wasn't the first place, all right, where the real commandment of God about this came forward. It's, if you go back to Genesis 9, verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So there's the so there's the requirement or the commandment, but it's also the reason behind it. Why is the taking of human life such an abomination to God? It's because we're created in his image. We're the pinnacle of God's creation. God created all kinds of things. But man, and we don't say this boastfully, is the pinnacle of, it, of God's creation, but because we were created in his image. Amen? It's just an important thing. Now we're not we're not gonna stay on murder. Uh, murder is a you don't have to you don't have to look very far. It's all around us in our society. Uh, lately it's been on the uptick. Um, I think I think it's true. There are about a hundred murders a day in the United States. Like you go to a city like Los Angeles, four hundred, four fifty a year, something like that. And, and, and I think we all, we all understand God's command. I mean, what was God's command? Don't kill each other. Kill people, don't kill people. That was God's command, pure and simple. Jesus is going to do something different here, though. He's going to take this thing to a completely different level. Remember back a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said he came to fulfill not to abolish. And we also looked at the time in when, he, when the, when the uh, Pharisees asked him what was the greatest commandment. Remember that? And he said, to love the Lord your God by heart, soul, and mind. And there's a second one that is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on to say, on these two commands hang the entire law and the prophets. Jesus distilled down he distilled down everything in the Law and Prophets to two commands. Very important to keep in mind. You know what? When you think about Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, for all we know, there might have been some Pharisees there that day. It says he went up with his disciples, but it says when he came down, he came down with the multitude, so we don't exactly know. But the Pharisees eavesdrop in on his teaching. You can bet on that pretty early in his ministry, and it got under their skin really, really bad. If you can imagine 
maybe a, 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 a few Pharisees sitting off to the side of the crowd when Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those guys probably uh, sat up and paid attention and thought, what's he going to say next, Dennis? <laughs> he, we're, he's getting ready to say something, and we better pay attention to what he's saying. It sounds offensive to us, frankly. That's probably what they thought. There's, you know, we're heading into a thing here that, that recurs six times. Jesus says, you have heard, but I say to you, you have heard, but I say to you. Theologians call it the six antitheses because it happens six times here in chapter five. We're just handling one of them today. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. At least I don't think we're getting past the first one today. You know, Jesus is getting ready to take something. When he said, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, what was the righteousness of the Pharisees? It was entirely outward. It was entirely fleshly. It was entirely prideful. But the people listening to him say these words, and I think I mentioned this a week or two ago, they must, have, they must have sat up and paid attention when Jesus made this statement because the Pharisees were the most righteous people they knew of or could imagine. They, that was their stock in trade, was being righteous, the outward, outward righteousness. And you know, if we just said, if I said, hey, by show of hands, uh, how are you guys doing on murder lately? You'll all smile and chuckle because there's no murderers in here, right? Anybody been struggling with murder this week? You know? Oh, had a good, <laughs> maybe a little. <laughs> had a good week, didn't murder anybody. That's a, I'm not trying to be facetious. That was literally the level that the Pharisees took it to because what they were dealing with was the end result of something, see? Everything was the end result of something. Jesus is going to back it up. The very start of it, where it all begins and where it starts. Let's move to verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Racha, which is different translations are going to say different things. Some are going to say empty head or, uh, you know, worthless one. Um, actually, as near as I can tell, and I, and I dove into this a ways, that word is, is not exactly translatable from Greek. We don't, have a, we don't have an exact equivalent. So when we say empty head, or maybe in our modern parlance, we might say airhead, that's probably the closest thing that we know of to, to Raka. Shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. Now most people that said through verse 21, like the Pharisees did, hey, I'm doing pretty good. They're going to hit verse 22 and go, whoops, whoops, maybe, maybe not. This time I won't say, I won't say, we'll just say, without a show of hands. Anybody had, 
Anybody had any uh, anger issues? That's what Jesus is drilling down to here, right? He's drilling straight down to it. He's going to go directly to our hearts. He's going to, he's doing it because this is part of him fulfilling the law. And this is him explaining what he meant in verse 20 when he said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, were the Pharisees committing murder? No, they wouldn't dream of it. They were way above that. They would, they would never think of doing that. What was inside their heart. That's what Jesus is going after here. If you take this verse and, and drill into it a ways, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty. Angry. There's really two words, two Greek words used for anger in the New Testament. The one that Jesus is using here is, is well, we would spell it O-R-G-E, orge. And orge is a type of anger that's like the slow, burning, uh, you know, just there, just there. It, it, it's just it just burns and lasts and hangs out for a really long time. The other kind that's spoken about, and we're going to look at some scriptures that have both of these in them, is thumos. And thumos is more like a flash of anger, like a match striking. You know, it's like one second everything was fine, the next second something set you off, and it flares up. Thumos is a flare-up type of anger. Orge is a slow-burning uh, type of anger. The word Jesus is using here is that one, orge. The one, the one that this is rolling around inside of you and it's being, it's being nurtured and held inside of you for a really long time. <clears throat> you know, human anger takes both forms. And I would, I would just point out, those two aren't completely separate from each other because the the slow-burning one, the coals can flash really fast. Right? The next thing that Jesus says is he takes it beyond just the anger. And he says, whoever shall say to his brother, empty head, airhead, raka, whatever we're going to say. What, is he, what does that mean? An insult. An expression of contempt. It's an expression of, of worthlessness. Jesus is saying, you express that to your brother, you're guilty. You have to answer. And we're going to look at it in a minute, but if you notice as he's going through here, the jurisdiction level is even rising. Did you see that? Like, it starts at the council, then the Sanhedrin, and the last one, when he says, um, this is New American Standard, shall be guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. That's ultimate judgment by the ultimate judge. Amen? So there's a, there, in the Old Testament references that we read, those were, those were like civil court, if you think of it that way. They were civil court 
you shed human blood, you're going you're gonna to be brought to court. And as we read, if, if their witnesses are there and you're found guilty, then you're, you will, your life will be taken for, as a penalty. Why is it that just insulting someone would be such a grave thing? I want you to turn with me just a, just a little ways in Matthew. Turn over to the uh, 12th chapter of Matthew. And by the way, uh, I apologize if you have my scripture list. It looks like it has about 500 scriptures on it. I don't think it quite does, but it's a long list. I don't know that we'll hit them all. And that was a, that was a winnowing down of a, of a list about four times that long. The Bible has an awful lot to say about this topic. It has an awful lot to say about anger. It has a tremendous amount to say about it. Way more scripture than we're going to be able to look at today. Let's look at Matthew 12, verse 34 and 35. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man, out of his good treasure, brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of his evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. What's the takeaway on this? I'm sure this has probably happened to at least someone here once. You said something, you insulted someone, you hurt someone, and you said, I didn't really mean it. And I think what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you probably did. Because what came out of your mouth proceeded from your heart. Okay? And what is God always after? always after our heart. When you go to the, to the uh, last part of this verse, verse 22, whoever shall say, you fool. The Greek word here is moros. Sound familiar? Where we get moron from. Greek word is moros. The root, we take the word moron. Now, I'm sure no one, in, no one here has ever used that term before. Maybe yet this morning. Jesus is saying, the tongue and what comes from your mouth, which is what proceeds from your heart, is desperately critical. You know, if you think about it, when they said... Um, thou shalt not commit murder. Or when they said, if you took life, the, the penalty for that is, is your life. By the time the penalty is being administered, it's already happened. Does that make sense? Life has already been taken. Now what we're doing is something, we're doing something uh, looking back and saying, a bad thing has happened and someone's going to pay for it. Jesus is addressing this because where did the murder start? Let's go back to Genesis 4, the very first one. You guys know this story, Cain and Abel. 
Isn't it a tremendous thing, the very first family in history? Very first family in history. What happened to the first two brothers? One killed the other. That is hard, hard to imagine. Genesis chapter 4. Now, I'm starting with the first one. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Jesus is going right back to this. He's not citing this passage. But here's the, but here's the thing. Where did, the, where did Cain's murder of his brother start? It started in his heart. It started with jealousy. It started with anger. It started with him brooding and dwelling over it. And then eventually plotting against his brother and taking his life. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to focus on the morbid part of that. But if we say, what's Jesus really saying here? Anger equals murder. Hatred equals murder. Insult equals murder. That's what he's saying. And, and please remember back my encouragement right before we started, which was, let's not be quick to say what he doesn't mean. Right? I think it, I think the meaning is pretty plain. It's hard to dodge. I want to go back and look at uh, a proverb, and I think this was this one is in your list in Proverbs 18, because we you know we hear this saying, or we may have even said it: sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, that's not true. That's absolutely not true, and it's not scriptural. Look with me at this uh, Proverb 18.21. Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. What's this proverb saying? Our tongue is a powerful thing. We can speak blessing. We can speak curses. We can speak life. We can speak death. What Jesus is calling his disciples to is something that the Pharisees hadn't grasped. This isn't about just whether you killed someone lately, literally bludgeoned someone, stabbed someone, speared someone. This isn't that. Jesus has taken it to the next level. I want to take you to Matthew 15. 
Um, because I want you to see what Jesus said about the source of murder. Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19. But these things proceed out of the mouth. Excuse me, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are, isn't it interesting? Uh, some of those are going to be the next antitheses that Jesus talks about on, in the Sermon on the Mount. But what is he, what's included right there? Murder. Where does it come from? Out of the heart. It's so important to get the principle of what Jesus is saying. Because I really do believe if we get the principle of what he's saying here in verse 21... We're going to get the principle of what he starts talking about in verse 27 and when he goes through each of these different, each of these different, um, you, I, I, I just say, you've heard, you have heard, but I tell you. You have heard, but I say to you. You know, Jesus isn't bringing murder down to the level of anger and hatred and insult. You see that? He's not saying, oh, murder's just down here with these things you say. He's doing quite the opposite. He's elevating. He's elevating anger and hatred and soul for what they really are in God's eyes. And why does it matter so much? God sees our heart. God is, God is only after the intent of our heart. The, the, the things, the outcome of what we do, that's the natural byproduct of the heart. The outcome of what we do and what we say. And you know, it's important to keep in mind the law never did, even the Mosaic law, never did just condemn the ultimate outcome. There was civil law. There was penalty for it. But what was Jesus quoting when he gave the two great commandments? And if you think, I mean, in, in effect, Jesus was saying, if you got this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The rest, of the, the rest of the law will take care of itself. Because if you really love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, uh, you're not, you're not going to covet things that belong to your neighbor. You're not going to take things that belong to your neighbor. You're not going to take your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's life or anything else. That makes sense. Probably just It's probably oversimplistic, but I think we can... I think sometimes we can miss the simple thing. All of the law and the prophets hung on those two things. You know, the law throughout it says, you shall do this, you shall not do this, you shall do this, you shall not do this. And remember, we concluded a couple of weeks ago and said, when Jesus said this, the law is not going away. Is it still true? Is it still perfect? It's still both. But it was distilled down to the two commands. It's still perfect. We never want to think otherwise. We, 
looked briefly at what is the what was the what was the new commandment or the law of Christ? Remember that we looked in Galatians six two, and Paul said, "Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ." And we said, "What is the law of Christ?" I think the law of Christ is the new commandment. Jesus said, "I give you a new commandment, really one new commandment: love one another." But he didn't stop right there, as I have loved you. Ooh. He set the pattern for how we love one another. Does that make sense? I want to look at some scriptures about anger. See how we're doing on time here. I'm promising to get done in less than an hour and a half. <laughs> Way less than an hour and a half, all right? We'll look at some scriptures on anger. Let's go to James, first chapter of James. This is probably one of the most classics. We're in James 1, starting with verse 19 and 20. Most of us probably know this. We're familiar with it. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I'd like to insert a couple other slows in there because I think they fit right in and I'm not being sacrilegious. Uh, we should also be slow to send text messages, tweets, Facebook posts. Anytime, especially anytime someone is tripping your trigger, all right? Because that can happen on social media pretty easy, can it? By the way, I don't tweet Facebook or anything. That's my wife. She doesn't. I don't even know how to do it, but I'm, and I'm not interested in it. But I do email and text. And there have been times when someone says something in a text. I go, well, I better wait. There have been some times someone sent me something in an email, and I wrote a response, Rick. But I thought, you know, I better let that one sit overnight before I hit the send button. <laughs> and when I looked at it the next morning, I had to. I had to reel some of it back, all right? Because, because why? Because people, it's, people, can, people can trip our trees. People can say things and do things that can really get under our skin. What's, what is James saying here? He said, hey, when that's happening, slow down. Slow your mouth down. Just slow down. Because probably anything you do in haste is not going to end well. Let everyone be quick to hear. We should be great listeners. But slow to speak and slow to anger. And man, this one, and we're going to dig into this one some more just in a little bit. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You know, we know that... Um, the Lord was slow to anger. Look, you guys may have this committed to memory, but if you go back to the 103rd Psalm, 103rd Psalm, the verse 8, man, I love, I love this psalm. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in loving of kindness. Why are we, why are we to be slow to anger? We're, we're to be like our father. Our father's slow to anger. Now, does he get angry? Oh, yeah. We're going to look at some of those scriptures in a few. Let's go over to Ephesians first, though. Ephesians 4. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 and... Verses 31 and 32. 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has given you. Remember, we're looking at a, a mere small handful of scriptures that talk about anger. I want to look at a couple of them in Proverbs. Proverbs has a, has a lot of great scriptures about anger. I think the one I have on the list there is in Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. Verse 11, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. What is it when you lose your temper? That's one of those thumos flare-ups, right? Something went like that, and people respond quickly and usually in a, in a very harmful way. Go back a couple of chapters to the 15th chapter of Proverbs. Look at a couple verses here. Chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I think my mom made me memorize this when I was about 10, Ronaldo. And I still remember it, you know. It's, that's how she nipped uh, arguments among kids real quickly, and this was, a, this was one that stuck with me. A gentle answer turns away wrath. You know, it, takes, it really takes two to have a knockdown drag out, doesn't it? And if someone is firing at you and you won't fire back, pretty soon it's hard for them to keep. It's not, it's not, it's not interesting to them. It's not fun anymore. It's not engaging anymore. It's not whatever anymore because, because they can't get the contentious response that they're after. So much wisdom here. But look at the last part of this. A harsh word stirs up anger. Anybody here ever experienced that? Said something you shouldn't have said. It was harsh. What was the response? Anger. What do we have to do, Dennis? We had to go back and Make it right, didn't we? I've been there. You have to go back and say, I said something I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry I said it. I'm sorry I hurt you with it. And I'm asking you to please forgive me. That's what we have to do. We'll get, we'll get to more reconciliation here in just a little bit. I want to look at one more, which is back one more chapter. Uh, probably right across the page from me in Proverbs 14, verse 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. A man of evil devices is hated. It's the first part of that verse, a quick-tempered man. 
acts foolishly. Very few people can do, can do something in a temper flare-up very quickly that they're going to look back on with a lot of satisfaction a while later. Amen? Because, why? Because they saw red. They saw red and they just did a fleshly thing. It wasn't thought through. It wasn't wise. It was, it was very foolish and it was very harmful. You know, when we looked there at um, the story of Cain, isn't it interesting that God himself counseled Cain? Why are you angry? And, and even said to him, if you, if you do right, you'll be accepted. Just, you know, get over it. But what was Cain doing? He was hanging on to something. Now that was, I, I don't know the Hebrew word. All right? I wish I did. I, did, I didn't look it up. I know, the, I know the Greek ones that we see in the New Testament. But I have to say, whatever that Greek word, orge, for the burning, you know, just smoldering kind of anger, you can see it. It's plain as day. That's what, that's what was in Cain's heart. God saw his heart. God counseled him and ignored God's counsel. That's a pretty tragic story. I want to go to, over to Galatians, the fifth chapter. We're just continuing on in verses that have to do with anger. And boy, this is a, not a long list of those verses at all. I'm going to start at verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Now, now this is the thumos, all right? The one Jesus was using in, in Matthew 5.22 is orge. That's the slow, smoldering, burning type of anger. This is the flare-up. This is the uh, flare-up anger. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's the counterpoint, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So is all anger bad? No. All anger is not bad. It can't be. God was angry. God is without sin. You know, God was angry quite a few times. We read in James that the, that the anger of man not the righteousness of God, right? Can we have righteous anger? Absolutely. In fact, I'd go so far as to say we could stand a lot more of it than we have. But what is righteous anger versus human anger? Human anger is my pride, my feelings, my emotions, Something about me 
has been impugned and I've got to stand up for my rights or I have to retaliate or I have to try and get, I have to try and strike back. Godly anger, righteous anger is never about me. It's God, God's precious name is being blasphemed. God's holy ordinances are being violated. God's principles are being disregarded or trampled. I mean, it's important to understand this because in the world's view, I think, I've never been to anger management counseling, but I think there's a lot of thinking in the world that, you know, any kind of anger is bad. You got any kind of anger, we need to counsel you and work you through it and get you on a 12-step program or something like that. I have to interrupt this real quickly. Rick, Rick showed me a picture <laughs> on Wednesday morning, but it ties into this thought. Did you see it? Yeah. He had, what, what is it, a circle of health, circle of life, something? He shows this diagram. This is not made up. It's a circle, you know, concentric circles of all these things. And guess what the middle is? M-E, me. And it's not a joke. That's not, it's not a joke, right? No. Somebody's serious about it. That's a problem. That's a problem. And if that's how we look at ourselves, or if that's how we view our place in the world, we're going to be offended all the time. And we're going to respond with human anger. Amen? If we walked outside and we walked around the corner and there's three bullies beating up a little kid, do we have righteous anger about that? I hope so. I hope so. Because that's not, that's not impugning me. That's me. Or if we find out someone's taking advantage of widows, orphans, do we have righteous anger about that? Yeah. I think you just want to be careful of this. Be sure that you're not ascribing righteous anger to something that's not really righteous anger. It's something that's really yourself. All right? There is such a thing as righteous anger, clearly. We won't go there. Go back to, uh, is it? I'm trying to keep moving here. If you go back to these scripture references, Numbers 32, 13, and Ezekiel 7 and 8, I think I just put EZ on there, and I looked at it and thought, well, that could be Ezra or Ezekiel. It's supposed to be Ezekiel. <laughs> um, God was angry. There's a lot of references to God being angry. But it was righteous. It was righteous anger. We're all familiar with this one. We will look at it if you go to Matthew 21. Jesus drove the money changers from the temple. You know the story. Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13. Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. Was that righteous? Anger? You bet it was. Jesus wasn't worried about his own rights. He wasn't worried about someone having offended him. He, he was honoring the name of his father. His anger burned because 
his heavenly father was being disrespected. I'm not even going to get all the way through verse 22 here, I don't think. I'm going to stop and tell you a quick story because it fits in here and it's so timely. On Monday evening, and a couple of you guys at Bible study on Wednesday know this, uh, we got a call. Uh, brother-in-law had passed very abruptly. Uh, he just turned 66. He's married to my uh, youngest sister. And uh, he died of a heart attack. Just like that. He's working on something. Talking to someone. Said, I feel kind of lightheaded. Go forward and die. And uh, the reason, he, first of all, I couldn't have picked a finer husband for my baby sister than this man. They were married for 40 years. We're all grateful for him. We're grateful for his life. He loved the Lord. He had a heart after God. He was just a faithful wonderful guy. And there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of grieving this week and we're not done yet because we're just going to miss him. I hunted with him. I fished with him. Did all kinds of things with him. And I just loved that man. But he said something to me that I want to interject right here one time. He made a statement to me and he said he said of a spiritual mentor of his. That man taught me how to be angry without sinning. And what, what he was saying in a nutshell was that in his growing up, he had not seen righteous anger. Walked out. He had seen anger that was always associated with tempers flaring and words being said and maybe hateful things being said. But he, but he lived and worked and was mentored with and was mentored by a, a wonderful man that he just got to be with him day after day after day, day in and day out, day in and day out. And the testimony that he said of that man was, he taught me how to be angry without sinning. And our brother-in-law was a peaceful man. Absolutely a peaceful man. I don't think that I ever saw him. I never saw him angry, I don't think. If it was, it was righteous anger. Never, never saw him display any other kind. And I'm not up here nominating for sainthood. We'll have a, we'll have a service for him on Friday. Uh, I'll also share with you just because, you know, God is faithful. Um, his wife, my, my sister, um, has grieved tremendously in the few days. But even within a couple of days, the testimony of her mouth was switching from Less grief and more gratitude. Does that make sense? I'm not bragging about my baby sister either. I'm just telling you God's faithful. 
because the testimony of her mouth wasn't just, it, it wasn't focused just on the loss. It was focused on 40 years of wonderful marriage to a faithful husband. Which, as she said to me, many, many women never experienced that. You know? And she was bathed in it, if you will. She was bathed in the love of, of a faithful, caring I'm going to put a wrap on this, and we'll be done. I'll be done in record time, at least as for me. What are the cautions? And I don't even think I don't even think we have time to go to all the scriptures. What I get through halfway, you guys can take them home and keep going. There's a lot in the Word about not taking up a reproach or. letting an offense pass. And I really believe that walking by the Spirit comes right down to this. I really, really do. One of my favorite psalms is the 15th psalm. And it says, it's talking about, you know, what is an upright man? He says, won't do, won't do evil to his neighbor? Won't take up a reproach against his neighbor. Like, Someone comes and starts saying, "Ah, eh, guy, you know, that, that, he won't go there. He just won't go there." And there's a maybe we do have time to look up one. Um, there's a wonderful um, proverb. Nineteen eleven. We're going to make this the last verse of the day. Proverbs nineteen, verse eleven. And what's the connection here? Why, why all of a sudden am I talking about taking up a, a reproach or overlooking an offense? Well, because that's usually where the anger, that's where the slow burn starts, right? Something's said to us, and instead of being like Jesus, or, or even Stephen who said, forgive him, Father, they don't even know what they're doing. They, they don't even know what they just said. Someone just said something that hurt me. I'm not even going to hang on to it. Literally not even going to hang on to it. I'm just going to let it go. I'm not going to register it. I'm not going to harbor it. I'm not going to let it fester. I'm not going to let it smolder. So look at this verse, Proverbs 19. Verse 11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. Okay, what does that mean? It means if you're measured and thoughtful, you know, you're not going to be quick to anger. But it's the last part of the verse. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. You want to avoid orge, slow, smoldering, anger, the kind Jesus said, it's murder, it equals murder. Pray God's grace and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to train you not take up an offense. Someone says something hateful, let it go. Let it go. Don't dwell on it. Don't, re don't register it. Don't get it in your little black book. Don't make a mark on the white. Just let it go. Now there's a balance to this, and I think you guys understand that. If you, if your child was harmed, and you say, 
well, I'm just going to forget that ever happened, and you send them right back out into harm's way the same way I think that there's a problem there. All right. But I'm talking about not our protection of someone else, our, our sticking up for ourselves, our own righteousness, our own pride, our own pride of life, our own, our own sense of what we think is right and we deserve. I always end with this. What did Jesus say? That a man would come after me, what? Well, step one. Step one. To let him deny himself. Take up his cross. What does it mean to deny yourself? Part of what it means to deny yourself is I'm not going to take up offenses. Just resolve to not take up offenses. And by God's grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that thing won't even, it won't even try and get a grip on my heart. Because I'm not going to allow my mind to think about it. Amen? Okay. It's almost a record, Dennis. Um, well under an hour. I want everyone to notice that. You want 45 minutes, you've got to get one of these other guys. <laughs> Would you pray with me before, we, before I stop here? Father, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, I confess to you that my reading of it is in my own feebleness. And I pray, Lord, that you empower your word to our hearts. That you take, that you take what Jesus taught and you shine it a beacon into the remotest parts of our heart. We could be we could be as David and say, search us, search our hearts. See if there's any wicked thing in there. Lord, I pray that anything that I've spoken here that's not of you would be as a vapor and disappear and not even lodge in anyone's memory. But whatever has been brought forth from your word and empowered by the Spirit, you'll write it on our hearts. Our goal is to praise and honor you and be conformed to your image. I pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you all. I appreciate your patience.